Welcome to Climate Insiders, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes of the climate revolution. My name is Johan Berno, and I'm on a mission to shake things up. It is time we get serious and address this climate crisis. In each episode, I'll provide a platform for top climate thinkers, entrepreneurs, and investors to share their insights, innovations, and contrarian views. Let's learn from visionary thought leaders and hear their ideas that can profoundly reshape society and bring us one step closer to a sustainable world. Hey guys, in today's show, I'm receiving Leslie Kappen, the Director of Impact at Astonor Ventures, one of Europe's largest impact funds. If you're working for a climate or impact fund, looking to start one, or you're genuinely curious about what's happening in the impact world behind the scenes, you will love this value-packed conversation. We talk about the impact journey of Astonor, how they went from a blank sheet five years ago to becoming one of the top impact experts in the industry, how to measure impact when who is needed in an impact team, how can VCs support founders in their own impact journey. We also touch on when and how to conduct an LCA, why would a fund even become a B Corp, and what we can do as a collective space to collaborate more, to reduce overlaps, and speed up the process for everybody. Enjoy. So Leslie, welcome to Climate Insiders. Thank you. Really, really nice to be here today with you. How would your best friend finish the sentence, Leslie Kappen is? Engaged, for sure. Highly committed, um, highly passionate. Um, not passionate in the sense that I will be um, just focused on my topic and bore everyone to death, uh, but definitely fully engaged and, and wanted to go to the next stage, to the, to the North Star that we set for ourselves. All right. And since you have a North Star, which is the impact, we're going to you know, deep dive a lot on, on the, this front. But first, uh, before we, we, we get deep here, can you present Astanor Ventures for those that don't know you? Sure. So Astanor Venture is an impact venture capital fund focused on the agri-food tech sector. Um, so bottom line, um, what happened is that, as you can imagine, as, as you might have heard, the whole agri-food system has been built over the last 70 to 80 years to produce quantity and, and calories without thinking about, you know, the quality and the, the quantity of nutrients that you are bringing to the, the consumers. And more sadly, it's being built by stripping the resource of the planet. So, you know, we just, we just took the nature's balance sheet for granted. That's the two point. Plus, as we know, the aggregate system is not what we call a sustainable and fair system for the people walking along this value chain. So there was this kind of problem on both the people, the planet, and definitely the quality that we were bringing at the end of the value chain. So this really bring us to think, okay, there's something to be done, especially because it's one of the sectors that's the least digitalized at the same time. So perfect timing for an agri-food tech fund. And that's really when the idea of the two co-founders uh, came from back in 2017, 2018. Awesome, man. You've just announced a couple of months ago, two or three months ago, a re record-breaking fund size of 360 million euros for the second venture fund. Uh, so you're probably uh, one of the leaders in sustainability as a whole uh, with, I believe, 800 million euros under management. So that's you're a big, you know, 800-pound gorilla. But you started with Astanor five years ago and you had a blank sheet, you were telling me to turn the fund into an impact fund. So how did you proceed? How did you even orient your work, you know, throughout this journey? Hell of a journey, definitely. So when I joined, I mean, the mission was already, always really clear. The founders knew what they want to build. 
They wanted to build impact within the agri-food sector. The question was, how are we going to explain to our investors, explain to our stakeholders that we've done a good job? I mean, clearly five years ago, you know, impact investing was not mainstream as it is today. Um, there were only a couple of uh, impact funds. Yes, the gene was there. You had the Iris Plus, the IMP. You had a lot of things existing already, but not really a common language. So, you know, in a way, yes, I had this amazing blank sheet of paper and saying, okay, how are we going to do that? How am I going to tell our investors that we deployed carefully and with impact and return equally um, in our mindset? Um, and so when I joined, we had, we'll say like 40 million, we raised 40 million at the time only. And I think we invested less than 10 and we were invested in five companies. So I already had a bit of, um, you know, an idea of where we're going to invest. And, and the way that we tend to describe where we invest, and that's one of the reasons I joined when I first met uh, one of the founder, Eric Archambault, was to say, okay, what Estonia is going to do is invest, invest from soil and sea to get. We're going to tackle the entire value chain and transition the system from being extractive to being regenerative. So this was the scene that was set. And I had those five companies to play with to say, okay, how can I find a way to measure impact for those five companies? So that was my blank sheet of paper. And I started thinking about this sector. It's not, we're not like a, a climate fund. We a climate, a nature, and a people fund at the same time. So you have to think holistically, you know, it's not only about greenhouse gas emissions. Yes, it's also about greenhouse gas emissions, but not only. So that's when I started thinking, okay, when we think about the planet, what makes sense? Clearly, greenhouse gas emissions, because a third of greenhouse gas emissions come from the agri-food sector as a whole. So greenhouse gas emission is one of our KPI. Uh, the second KPI is water. We have to think about, you know, water, the agri-food sector consumes more than 70% of fresh water. And 60% of this fresh water is wasted. So clearly we have to think about water. We have to become more efficient. The third angle when you think about nature is social biodiversity because the agri-food sector is extremely dependent on, on biodiversity, but is the primary, the largest driver of biodiversity loss. So you need it, but you destroy it at the same time. So biodiversity is key. So when we think about impact, how to measure impact, we are looking for companies that are going to reduce greenhouse gas emissions that going to reduce water use and going to have a positive impact on biodiversity. That's all three planet KPI. We also have the people. When we think about the people is the farmers and the consumers. And so you have to think about social. The whole agri-food system is built on structural inequalities. It's low income, it's difficulty to access to, um, to credit. And so you have to think about how can you bring a better livelihood to the farmers? So that's social. And clearly, health, you know, healthy soil, go to healthy food. And so we need healthy people, healthy consumers. So a fifth KPI is about the people. That's all five, let's say, key contributor KPI. The problem I had at the time is that I have a sixth company that in the portfolio that didn't fit any of these categories. And I had to think about how I'm going to feed those guys. And today we have many more of those guys. This is what I call our enablers. You know, you have companies that bring impact insight to the others, but themselves don't have a direct impact on any of those first five KPIs. Can you give an example? Sure, definitely. Give you an example of one of the companies we have today in the portfolio called Algood. Algood is a US company that bring LCA, lifecycle assessment at scale, for large F&B businesses such as 
an SBA or Dan on a Unilever. So let's say a Danon, they have access to our good. They will be able to understand the entire environmental footprint of this cure product and understand where is, you know, the pain point, where should I really do something to reduce my water use, my land use, or whatever it is. So our good, by definition, is providing an extremely insightful metric to a Danon. But you will never be able to tell, oh, thanks to our good, I avoided extents of emissions or I led to that amount of farmers being reached. However, they're extremely needed because without them, you know, large players in the market will not be able to decrease their environmental footprint. So this is exactly the example of an enabler that you need, but you cannot, they have a certain order effect on the people on the planet. Mm -hmm. Is it fair to say that those companies tend to be software? first companies Titan, for sure definitely okay. so you do believe as an impact and i'm gonna play devil's advocate or push a little you know poke a little bit that impact funds should definitely venture in the software territory even though the main metric is to have direct impact they should invest in enablers yeah for sure i mean you cannot achieve all goals without enablers they're part of the system i'm not saying that we're going to go to 80 percent investment in enablers i mean my guess would be more in the 30 percent Okay, so a third, almost a third of the fund. That's my guess. Again, I mean, you know, I will say a third, yes. That will be my guess. And from what we've, we've done in fund two so far, we'll be like saying it's fair. And I, I, I do believe that you need them. And, you know, one thing to think about as well, one of our companies called SourceArg in, in fund two, they are bringing all the um, hardware of greenhouses together through software. So today, I see them still a bit as an enabler. But what we're doing with them is saying, okay, how can we bring them to be a neighbor to actually be a contributor? Is there something we can do, get more data? How can we really measure the impact that source hack has on greenhouses and making them more efficient? Don't you believe that there's performance tarnishing the impact conversation here a little bit? Because we know historically VC has been driven to performance by software companies. They tend to have uh, more scalable models. They're not as CapEx intensive and there's a shorter, you know, kind of, um, return on investment. Uh, don't you think that that corrupts a little bit of the dialogue, you know, the hardware versus software and looking at pure direct impact versus, uh, or you're saying you're only purely looking from an impact angle here? It's a pure impact angle because we want to transition the agri-food sector. And I don't think you can do the transition without the enablers. You need contributors and enablers. The two mixed together will be able to reach the goal that, you know, the high ambitious goal that we have in the agri-food sector. Fair enough. And I, I wanted to, um, to go back to that sort of impact uh, blank sheet. You have those kind of six North Stars or KPIs. Now, how do you turn that into something that has to become an industry standard, you know, namely um, SFDR compliant, Article 9, um, and we're going to talk about the B Corp certification. So those are kind of milestones. Was it obvious in hindsight or it just kind of happened step by step, year by year? It's definitely be an organic kind of learning, you know, like learning because all this time you spend with our portfolio companies themselves, you know, you learn a lot from, from the others, you know, also with our LPs, you know, we have really good relationship with amazing LPs and we learn from them as well. We change and, and we improve our practice. So Definitely Who are the most adorned. helpful LPs? <laughs> I will not put name, but I will say that we're lucky to have amazing LPs. Amazing LPs in, you know, like uh, public banks and um, sovereign funds, but also corporates. Uh, so I think I'm pretty amazed by the quality 
and that we have as, as LPs. Are you trying to massage them here a little bit to help for next fund or, or are you uh, genuinely honest? No, we, we, genuinely honest <laughs> because we closed our second fund, so we don't need them, at least not now. Uh, no, I think honestly, we have an advisory committee composed of our large, non-largest investors. And, you know, the, one of the main focus of the, the advisory committee is actually impact. And they fully engage on the topic with us. They're here with us to learn as well, to share. You know, they fully endorse some of the projects we brought to them. The challenges at the same time. So, no, I will say that, you know, I do value a lot having them on the phone, you know, once a quarter to see what's happening there. How can we collaborate? We're really pushing them. You know, we've pushed them a lot on ESG, just on simple ESG. And I'm happy to remind everyone what's the difference because sometimes people get confused. Mm -hmm. um, but definitely on impact as well, because when we went to first fund, or investors were mostly traditional investors, I will say. And so they were not like really into impact. Second fund, we really attracted many more pure impact investors. And it's great to have them on board because they challenge you on a different level. So I think having this combination, this mix, I feel like, you know, we're really giving things to them and they bring something to us. Yes, sometime in the past on different things, we had some disagreements on, you know, how to measure impact. However, I will say that even those investors that didn't have the same view than us forced us to go to the next stage, you know, to the impact measurement 2.0. And I think this was extremely beneficial to have those issues, if I may say, of understanding and how to think about impact that fully forced us into the direction to go to the next level. So you're saying there's a collaboration happening between GPs and LPs. And even though some LPs, as big as they are, might have their own framework, it is a collaboration. So it has evolved. So you kind of almost calling for that to carry on, right, with other funds so that we are not settled in a standard, but we're collaborating together to reach that standard. And one, one of the, the inspiring move that you've done in the recent months is to become B Corp certified. This is new to me. I didn't know that a fund could actually become one. What's the rationale behind it? And was it influenced by LPs as well? Uh, not at all on the last point, clearly not, not inspired okay. by the LPs. But one thing I think to remind everyone is the difference between ESG and impact. I think it's important because I think, you know, the terms can be used uh, together, but I think they're extremely different. So the way that we define, and again, not everyone might agree, ESG is about the internal health of our portfolio companies. It's about the internal practices that they will put in place, which will allow them to attract and retain talent. So it's really your internal practices. Impact, it's about the impact that their product or their service is going to have on the people on the planet. So it's the reason why we invested is the impact. However, there will be no point in investing in the most impactful company with the most impactful product without thinking about building the right practices in-house. This will be not a long-standing company because they will have like, you know, they will not able to be able to attract and retain talent. So If you want to have a long-lasting impact, you need to build those ESG practices in-house. And the beauty is that we invest in mostly Series A or Seed as well. Nothing really happens exists when we invest. You know, again, we have a bit of a blank sheet of paper. And I, I know when portfolio companies used to fill the questionnaire, the ESG questionnaire the first time, they were like, oh, it's awful. I've got zero or no everywhere. And I was like, it's perfect. You have a huge room for improvement. You started at zero, you finished at 100. You know, so we can really bring you when we exit to being strong on ESG. 
And so B Corp is one of the things that we support our portfolio companies to become. Um, we, do, we don't force. Again, uh, we're not forcing anyone to do anything. We convince them uh, that it could make sense at some point and the earlier is the best because we do believe that B Corp is a really helpful certification to bring good practices in-house. And the earliest you do is the best it is because at the end of the day, you know, as we know, you're much more agile when you're like 15, 30 people. When you are becoming B Corp at 400 employees, I can tell you because it happened with one of our companies, it took them two years. So when mm-hmm. you do it, when you're like a small group of 20 people where everyone know each other, you know, you know, where sits the, which policy, where sits this. So it's super easy to, to do. And so over the last five years, we've supported our companies to become B Corp. And as you can imagine, since day one of joining Astano, I was wishing to become a B Corp. And things to just took a bit of time, you know, convincing as well everyone that it makes sense. Uh, but the, the way that we built Astano was always, again, with B Corp as, as a North Star. So that was what, a year and a half What's ago? The... Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah actually, I'm, I'm, I want to bounce on, on this. Uh, what does that mean from a pure financial perspective here? Or is it pure marketing? If I, again, kind of zoom out, B Corp, is it a marketing thing or it's aspirationally setting targets and it looks good from the outside of it? Or does it actually bind the company, the organization to go in a certain direction financially? It impacts the shareholders. It could impact the future of the company. It fully impact the future of the, the company because it sets the right practices from day one. So yes, you could see it as a marketing, but I mean, I don't think that's the, the rational for, for us because I don't think it's really well known as, as you said earlier, you know, for a, a VC fund to be B Corp. So clearly it's to set the right practices for the long term. And for us, it was to walk the talk, you know, I've been supporting portfolio companies to be B Corp for the last five years. And I was saying, eh, yes, but we not one ourselves, but you know, no, it doesn't look good. We want to walk the talk. We want to lead by example. So becoming a B Corp was always part of our journey at some point. And it was the right time in March. We launched the process in March last year and it took a while, as you know. So the beauty of B Corp is it's not just a certification you do once and, and you forget about it. No, you have to renew it every three years. So meaning that as soon as we become B Corp, we already had a roadmap for the next three years of what we want to achieve. Again, not to get a, a better score, but clearly first you want to make sure that what you said you were doing like three years ago is still valid and that you improve because i mean we all want to be better so that takes me to the next point which is when you're talking to a seed or even pre-seed founder they have so many things to juggle with right they need to find a business plan they need to find product market they need to hire to get partnerships i mean it's and fundraise right and um how can they, on top of it, become impact experts, ramp up on ESG understanding, and on top of it, do the process to become B Corp, which is a hassle. So would you, would you say that maybe Astonor has may, I've been able to, because you've got the critical size, you've got the staff, I believe you're 30 people in the, in the team. How do you juggle with this? Saying that it might be too premature, too early for most companies, and also for funds that are just not at your scale. I mean, clearly you need to be careful on the timing. We will never push if it doesn't make sense. You know, same we do life, life cycle assessment is a requirement for portfolio companies. And, and this is something that'll take much more time and commitment than a B Corp to be fair. So what we do is that over the last five years, we really build this shelf of solutions that our portfolio companies have access to. You know, we built um, a notion page where they have access to all the resources. We, we do calls with them once a quarter to identify where we can help them. So. You know, that's really what we call the value out of being an impact investor. We are 
the sustainability partner of all portfolio companies. So we bring solutions to them to make sure that they can easily become the corp, easily do a life cycle assessment, uh, easily, whatever they need to, you know, and if we don't have that on the shelf, awesome. There's one more thing we can add on a shelf that will be, you know, needed for sure by one of the others. So clearly on, on seed, we don't do pre-seed, but seed, we usually don't bother them with B Corp. You know, they're really getting out of the ground. But from Series A, you know, we start like um, really getting them into the ID uh, that it makes sense. And, and to make sure that the ID is even, you know, printed. Um, there's one legal thing you need to do when you become a B Corp is that you need to change your articles of incorporation. Something that what we realized in the past, you know, we were doing the, the fundraise, we were closing the, the round, and then six months later, the company was, okay, let's be B Corp. So you had to go back to your shareholders, you have to spend time and do the, the change of articles of incorporation. So now, what we've learned is that when we do um, a fundraise, we actually do the change of articles of incorporation at the time of the fundraising. Then, meaning that it doesn't mean that the company has to become B Corp tomorrow, but when they're ready, at least this is done and it's easy. So I think we just try to make the game. Learning, we learn, and we try to make the process easy. That's awesome. Not forcing it on the founders, but very much carrying the load for them, right? But they've exactly. already made the decision themselves. It's super important. <laughs> so, so now I'm really intrigued. What about this Notion page? That seems like a treasure trove of resources. Is this a secret sauce of Astanor, or is it something that you could open source? Good point on the letters. Like at this point, it's still like a secret recipe in a way from Astano and available for portfolio companies also because, you know, we guide them through the notion and on everything that's there. And and I think sometimes, uh, you know, you still need to spend a lot of time on the one-to-one -one basis. And that's why we do, you know, a call at least once a quarter and sometime if needed once a month with our portfolio companies to support them on the journey. So as of today, still like a in in like in-house resources for all portfolio companies. Now, you've said in the past that you want more collaboration amongst funds, right? So that we don't have to swim on our parallel swim tracks and can reuse the work that has already been done. Since you're one of the oldest impact funds, you're one of the largest. Don't you think you, sh you should maybe give away more and then help the funds kind of figure it out? I think we try to give as much as possible. We shared, you know, our template of... Uh... Uh, code of conduct because we have templates we've been sharing our impact clause as well completely publicly so we publish an impact report every year mm -hmm. and in which we i don't know if you had a chance to look at it but it's a lot about sharing what we have um and especially the first two ones where we didn't have much data and much realized impact is really sharing about the approach and the methodology so i will say i mean i will say that we've been sharing a lot um, and indeed, some of the things like the impact community meeting that we do with our portfolio companies once a quarter, it's with our little family, which is also important sometimes to spend time as a family with all portfolio companies to share and to get like a free discussion. So yes, at some point we could share more, but I think we've been sharing a lot and we keep on sharing because as I mentioned earlier, you know, like for us, sustainability is a lot about sharing. And that's why we participate to panel, we do conferences, we write reports to make sure we share as much as possible. It's a fine line to find, right? Because it is a comp competitive space. You're competing for LPs, especially in this environment where it's a little tougher to, to grab the big checks. So you want to give away a little bit, but keep your moat, right? Your defensibility, which is you want to be regarded by the institutional guys as one of the you know, top brands on impact um, and keep your, the head start. 
you know, healthy. Yeah, but again, I, I think uh, sharing is, is, is caring, so we keep on sharing. And I think that's, uh, you know, you need to find the right balance. And I think sometimes, you know, there are a lot of internal things as well, which is only like kind of internal for portfolio companies as well. So we'll have to redefine the notion in a way that is not made for that. It was made for the, the Astana family initially. Uh, but at some point, yes, definitely. But I will say that a lot of the pieces that within this notion are already been shared publicly. Awesome. And we're going to try to share over the next 10, 12 minutes a, a lot, right? Some uh, we, can, we can share. So first of all, a lot of the funds become Article 9 compliant. That comes with a, a host of things. You don't even realize up front what you're getting yourself into. Typically, you need one person that is full-time dedicated to impact measurement. Do you, rec do, do, do you recognize that is a necessity in the climate tech space, at least to become Article 9 or the ways around while you can guarantee impact without being Article 9? It's a good question. I think, I mean, I really think that it's really valuable, Article 9. And I think the SFDR regulation, even if it's far from perfect, had a lot of good things in it. Uh, in a way, when, you know, Article 9 and the, the PEI, the principal adverse impact indicators were out, to us, we felt fine. It's, you know, everything we've been building is completely aligned to that. So it doesn't going to change a lot. You know, we already collect the data, most of them, except maybe a few weird one indicators that we never thought about before, like the unadjusted pay gap or things like that. But most of these indicators we were collecting before. So to us, that was seemed to be like a, a no, definitely a no-burner and felt it will be quite light. I must admit it hasn't been a light process. And more than, I mean, just impact person, we have an amazing compliance um, officer or director that's doing an amazing job as well on these fronts and is passionate because, again, that's one thing I love about the way we build Fastenal is it's not just the impact team, is everyone is driven by impact. You know, the investment team is impact driven and the lawyers, the, the compliance, the marketing, everyone is impact driven. So that's core to what we do. Going back to the, the, the question, uh, sorry. It's, can I, can I you paint us a picture, actually, out of 30 people, how many people are fully dedicated to impact, measurement? and? So we three, we're lucky to be three, uh, which is a large team, uh, a large team. But at the same time, you know, we spend a lot of time on, you know, I'm a member of the ESG um, committee at Invest Europe. We're member of Project Frame. We're member of the Finance for Biodiversity Pledge and Foundation. And every time when we're a member is to be a voice, you know, of um, not only a, a climate CC fund, but climate, nature, and people fund. So for us, it's important to be part of this um, initiatives to make sure we can share what we've done. And that's one way for us to sharing, you know, it's sometimes not to share like directly like a notion page, but actually to share by being part a member. And at Invest Europe, for instance, we are the voice of the VC, you know, of the Impact VC alongside another another one. And same for finance for Biosity Pledge and Foundation. So, you know, we really try to make sure that we have our voice there. And again, in fact, Project Frame as well, we one of the only non-pure climate funds. Um, so we're trying to do the work for the others. So I think mm -hmm. we do the heavy lifting for some of those smaller funds indeed that don't have the resources. We try to always go to the next project that could benefit to our peers as well. And, and so going back to the Article 9 question is, if you were to set a mental threshold or a number, right? So you should not become an Article 9 because it's too heavy if you're not, not a 100 million euro fund, for example, something like this. Do you, do you have those, this mental framework or you say everyone should aspire to, uh, but be aware of the pain? I think it's better to be like everyone, sh everyone should think of becoming an article nine, even if you're small. Again, also, it depends a lot of the space in which we invest. I mean, Seri Seed, I mean, 
was the point in a way. I mean, the principal adverse impact mm -hmm. indicators are, don't make much sense for a seed deal. I mean, they really start to make sense from a series B, I will say. So I will say start thinking about it when, if you definitely invest in a series A space and, and, and above. But I think yeah, there's a tricky part where I think some LPs might just want that because they want the stamp. You know, they will not even look at you if you're not. But I think, as we all know, the SFDR regulation hasn't been done by, by, for the private market. They've been done for the entire financial market. And the VCs are a niche within that. So, you know, That's clearly right. it hasn't been done for us. At the same time, I do think there are some valuable inputs from the, the SFDR that are helpful. But for really small and, and funds targeting services, I don't think that it's worth so much effort. Right. Now, another big piece of you know, question is LCAs, so life cycle assessments. This is a big chunk of work. Yeah. How do you measure it at Astanor before you invest? Is it something that you push back until you, dilute, you divest your, your investment? How do you do it? And what do you suggest other funds should proceed if they don't have your capacity? to invest as much as impact? Definitely. I think LCA is a need. It's a need and it's a journey. I think we've learned from some of the last five years. You know, LCA used to be done by uh, large sustainability consulting firms like Quantis, mm -hmm. for instance. And there used to be a black box that you pay sometimes even 50K and you get a PowerPoint report or PDF uh, where you don't really understand any of the data <laughs> behind. That was more or less the way the first time we tackle an LCA that was from one of our companies that did that with an external consultant. And I was like, okay, how can we use that? And, and so there was this, definitely this huge learning that, okay, one thing that we know, LCAs need to be internalized within our portfolio companies. Going on to your question and when it has to be done, ideally pre-investment, because definition, definitely like to me, without an LCA, you're more or less blind. You don't know exactly what the impact your product is going to have on the people on the planet. So Ideally, before. Sometimes time make it not possible. So in this case, we, we go through, you know, research LCA, past uh, LCA, and trying to understand, okay, get a good understanding and idea of what will be um, the numbers. But definitely pre-investment, we need some numbers. Is that actual number on the portfolio companies or does it come from peer research and others? That a mix depend. But clearly, post-investment, if the company has an impact on one of those three planet KPI, this is clearly written in the shoulder agreement. They need to do a life cycle assessment. They need to embark on this journey with us. And I can say it's a journey because it's not an easy one. For us, as I mentioned, we want that to be internalized because it's not a static LCA. You don't want one every three years. An LCA is dynamic. You need to build that into your day-to-day -day practices because having the data will make your process more efficient on the day-to-day -day basis. And as we know, all popular companies, the whole process is going to evolve from time of investment to when we exit. So, you know, the processing, the, 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 the raw materials they're going to use is going to change from soy to something else. So you need to have these this inputs to change whenever it's needed. Um, so the way we do, we've been working with experts in the field of LCA. We don't do LCA in-house. We thought about that. And at some point we said, no, we don't want to do it in-house because we need, we prefer to use experts in the field, in their different fields. But what's extremely important is to get someone within our portfolio company to take the load, to be the experts, to bring LCA to the next level in-house. So what we bring to them, we bring either large consulting firm that will come to, you know, get them on board with the first LCA. But more importantly, we bring our mentors. So we have mentors that will be with our portfolio companies to build the product with them. 
to the LCA from A to Z, the Excel, the tool, whatever is needed for them to um, to be able to get the in-house LCA that will bring them the high-quality data that they need. So if I were to summarize, you basically have someone internally that is the project manager of the LCA project where you uh, accompany the founders to get on board that journey, but you externalize the actual number crunching, which is the, the complex part, right? Sourcing the right data. Is that correct? The point is not, it's, I mean, it's to get someone, an expert within our portfolio company. So we need someone like an engineer that knows the data, that knows exactly the processing. So Maybe sometimes, most, most of the time, they don't know anything about LCA, but they, they're good with numbers. They understand the process of, you know, precision fermentation of, or, you know, electrical autonomous structures, depending on the portfolio company. And we bring an external mental expert that's going to train this person within the portfolio company and how to do an LCA. So it's, gotcha. it's and you cover the cost. We used to. Uh, at the time, uh, something that we do less at the moment, and it's the, the financing of the LCA is an interesting point, mm-hmm. um, but we don't finance it directly. It's something that, but we negotiate a lot of the fee because in a way, some of the costs that for our mentors are paid by us. So the mentoring is partially paid by us and they pay more for the service of building the data and building the Excel or building the tool if it's within a tool. So indeed, that's something that we thought a lot about, you know, what would be the best financing? Because at the end of the day, the LCA is not just for Astana, it's for any of the other investors mm-hmm. in the cap table. So how can you mutualize the, the cost? How can you do something, you know, that, you know, when you do a fundraising, actually, I don't know, 10% of the fundraise is allocated to um, pure impact kind of projects. Or I mean, 10% might be a bit lot. But, you know, something that we, we keep on thinking about, how can we put more money dedicated to that? Because indeed, that's can be um, an issue for companies because they're not rewarded for the impact they create today while we need them to be able to, you know, uh, get the credit for what they do. That's interesting what you're saying. Do, do you consider that what, what, what I would qualify as light LCA is something that is done up front yeah. where you try to number crunch uh, based on available, publicly available data or something that you, because you clearly like data at the business level. They haven't really hit their growth milestones but you conduct a full LCA at the end of the fund life cycle when you divest on this company because you then have a historical track of everything they've accomplished. And you report that to your LPs, not the pre-LCA or the light LCA, but the end LCA. The LCA that you will build over, over time because, again, okay. it's, it's a building. It's, I mean, it's not like you don't do it once. I mean, honestly, the way you can improve your LCA is, is it's a journey. All right. And so another thing is your impact creation report, which is really great. Thanks so much for, you know, publicizing this. You've done this for, I believe, three years in a row. Yes. And um, if we were to unpack the granularity of this, the, you know, you cover some of the metric tons, the hectares of land, some of the water use, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, how much of this is internalized? How much of this is externalized? And how can other funds get inspired by it and replicate? So all the data come from the LCA or from the you know, impact work we do with our portfolio companies. Because think about all the portfolio companies that have an impact on, on the people and so social and health. This is not coming from an LCA. So you need to think about how you're going to build those metrics as well. I think one point that's important, um, so again, for, for others, they need to do LCA, they need to spend a lot of time with their portfolio companies to really understand what is the impact pathway of my company? What is the net positive impact that my company has on the people on the planet 
with its product or its ser or service. The issue we had two years ago, you know, when we were seeing the metric tons, the the the, the square meter uh, of of land or the acres of land, more roughly, was that you know when I was we were telling that to our LP, they were saying, oh, cool, cool, but that doesn't really ring a bell. I mean, greenhouse gas emissions, people get it a bit more, but not so much. But then when you you sometimes people translate water into Olympic pools or they translate uh, acres into um, football pitches, which is Again, doesn't mean anything, and you know it's, it's a conventional. Yeah. It's conventional, and it's it's you know you give it a flavor, you give like it's anecdotal. So that's where we really started this process of thinking. Okay, what makes sense for a lot of people? It's money. Mm -hmm. So actually, we launched a full project with again external experts in the field of impact valuation of translating all our net positive impact into a monetary value. It's really impact valuation. So saying that with every greenhouse gas emissions have avoided with all this increased remuneration that I'm bringing to these farmers, with all this health issue that I prevented because I've brought something more nutritious and healthy to my consumers, this is the impact that I'm going to have on natural, natural capital, social capital, and human capital. Really understanding your impact pathways and monetizing those net positive impacts. Knowing that, to me, at the end of the life of the farm, what I want us to be able to communicate is that my fund did did a two x four x on return on investment, but we did eight x on impact. So what we call the impact multiple on investment, the IMOI. You know, so I'm not only reporting on financial returns; I'm also reporting on impact return. So you really have this double metric because we're not impact or uh, um, uh, finance. We we both. So you know, we want to report on both metrics. Well, I. I have to claim that I've never heard of the IMOI, but this is an amazing, uh, you know, figure impact measure or return on investment. This is really, really helpful. And and and, and by the way, so since you're saying you're always kind of trying to push the envelope on the on the impact side, what is the next evolution of this whole thing as a fund level? And I'll I'll probably trigger the the conversation on the biodiversity side, where it's clearly lagging behind. If we consider the climate tech space, it has evolved tremendously over the last five years on the climate measurement side. But biodiversity is lagging behind. Do you think it's just trending behind and it will just follow the same set of regulations? I think it will go much faster because we've learned, you know, with greenhouse gas, you know, we took years to get where we are mm -hmm. today. I think we're going to learn, we're going to reuse the frameworks, you know, like, uh, you know, the SBTN, the SBT has become SBTN, you just add nature, or the TSCFD, you just change to TNFD. So we learn from those frameworks and we're adapting them for nature. Clearly, nature is, is complex and much more complex and interdependent. So, you know, it's, it's less straightforward, but it's not because it's less straightforward that you should not start measuring it. And that's why with life cycle assessment, you get really valuable information on, on nature and biodiversity. So the, I, I feel often, you know, people are saying, okay, this nature is too complex. No, it's okay, it's complex, but, you know, you have to start somewhere. And I'm not saying that LCA are perfect. For instance, on soil health or marine biodiversity, Healthy years tend to be not that helpful. So, okay, not that helpful. How can we get it to be more helpful? How can we maybe not use the LCA, but use our impact valuation model to factor the fact that you avoided, um, you know, fishing feeds a fish in the ocean or that you actually improve soil health by bringing biostimulants and biocontrol. So I think most important is to start. And then when you start to understand the issue, the data is not easy on biodiversity, but you have to start somewhere. So the earlier you start, the best it is.
Awesome, man. It's been a five-year journey for you, but what would be the advice for people that are just getting started or the funds that are trying to hire experts? There's an army of people that really want to get in and they see that the impact measurement could be an angle of attack, right? One entry point. What would be the best learning point? How can they ramp up? I think there's so many good resources that there now. You know, so many good impact reports that people can rely on, look at, and get inspired of. And so many good podcasts, um, panel, webinars. So I will say that, I mean, I would have loved to have what people have today five years ago. Mm-hmm. Because there was nothing there five years ago. So I think a space where people can educate themselves. And I, I mean, clearly we need... Um, we do a lot of impact classes in university on impact investing and what it is to be an impact investor because I think you, we need to get that, you know, at universities as well from all these pre-graduates that, you know, can can learn that even before. But I will say for anyone, there's so much out there, so much collaboration as well. You know, there's so many groups where, you know, we on WhatsApp group, on, on monthly meetings, quarterly meetings. So everyone is eager to share, eager to to find the best way to measure impact and not to measure because as measure is, is important because then you can attract more investors. But more importantly, that we can all create more material impact because we all want to have a positive impact on the people on the planet. Any gold nuggets, any kind of directions? You mentioned WhatsApp groups or communities. Can you think off the top of your head a few directions? I will say some of the projects like Project Frame, they're doing an amazing work and I think they, they, they're really inspiring. I think... As I said, again, impact reports, the more you can read, some of them are pretty mm-hmm. amazing. I mean, clearly, I love the one that we've been publishing, but there are others that have been doing a really good job as well. And I think the most important is to not be afraid. Yes, impact means a lot of data. It means that you have to, you know, really go in depth into understanding of the impact pathway of your portfolio company. But the sooner is the best because it takes time. So you need to make sure you collect the right data from day one. So don't be afraid of going into the journey as early as possible um, and it will take time and people are cognizant that it's not going to be solved in, in two days but don't hide yourself behind the excuse it's too much it's too much data you don't have the mm-hmm. resources just try from day one for sure and there's a massive imposter syndrome of people standing on the sidelines saying that's too high of a step right and they think that because we have those conversations they sound fairly educated we have cracked this but the truth is we're still trying to hack it You've quite kind of hacked it over the last five years. I launched a fund and I, we were kind of clueless and we had to learn along the way. So it's a learning process. Everyone, everyone has a path to, to learn. And, and frankly, we make it sound more uh, settled than it actually is. It's uh, ever evolving. Everyone can play catch up. Fully agree. And I think uh, that's the one thing, the beauty of sustainability is people love sharing. So, you mm-hmm. know, that's the one thing that every time someone contacts me to say, oh, how do you do things? I will always go back and have a discussion because I know I will learn something and I, hopefully I can, you know, bring something to them. So I think the sharing is amazing. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Leslie, for this insightful conversation. I love your kindness. I love uh, the sharing aspect. So we will continue following your journey. Thanks a lot. And thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure. And uh, I keep looking forward to the next podcast as well that you published. That's great. Great to hear. And thanks all of you guys for listening. If you haven't already, sign up for my weekly newsletter. Along with receiving updates about each new episode, you will also get one actionable insight every Saturday to boost your career, fund, or startup. My newsletter is value-packed, authentic, and full of unique insights. This newsletter is also the best way to join our growing community of climate investors. We found that building a community is probably the ultimate force multiplier. And it gives us the momentum we need to create profound change. 
Let's share and collaborate. I'm just here to empower you to get started and set you on a path to success so our collective ideas can flourish and expand. Come join us to drive huge impacts.